If I were a rich man, all day long I'd biddy biddy bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have. This podcast is focusing on Brownsville, Brooklyn. So you might ask yourself, why open with Zero Mustel singing a song from Fiddler on the Roof? Give up? Well, early in his life, Zero Mustel lived in Brownsville, when Jews from the Lower East Side moved to Brooklyn for a better life. Since then, this community has both suffered and thrived. I am Alan Winson, and I have a brief story to get us started here. A few months ago, my good friend Paul Rubin asked if I wanted to visit Brownsville because he was grateful to the Brooklyn Community Health Center for supplying the jab for him and his wife at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay? So we went. Two older Jewish guys walked along Pitkin Avenue and met a variety of friendly Brownsvillians. And thus, my curiosity grew. I wanted to learn more about this New York City neighborhood, which was rumored to be so very dangerous. I'm Rebecca McCain, and this is Bar Crawl Radio Podcast. And we are back recording at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street, across the street from the mortuary and down the block from Verdi Square. Today, we will be speaking with Janice Morgan, Chair of Community Board 16, serving Brownsville and Ocean Hill, and LaShawn Allen Muhammad, Executive Director of Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation. And with that bit of an intro... Here we go. Today on Bar Crawl Radio, we will be talking with the chair of Community Board 16, which advocates for Brownsville, Brooklyn, in the New York City Council. Janice Morgan is a native of Brooklyn and earned a degree in accounting at the Clark Atlanta University in Georgia. Janice has worked with the U.S. Department of the Treasury and the Internal Revenue Service. Presently, Janice operates her accounting firm, Finally Financial. And she is the founder of the Ocean Hill-Brownsville Neighborhood Improvement Association. And joining us here on the Gephard porch is LaShawn Allen Muhammad, who has many prestigious titles and positions, of which we'll name a few. LaShawn is the Executive Director of Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporations, President of Entrepreneur of New York, Brooklyn Director of the Long Island African American Chamber of Commerce, and others. She is a native of Brownsville and committed to revitalizing her hometown by creating opportunities for her neighbors through home and business ownership. Welcome so much, uh, LaShawn and Janice, for joining us. Um, We were talking to Janice, before we began, you were telling me about Paul Rubin and that he had contacted you, I didn't realize, and had made a contribution. Could you tell me about it? Yes, so last year, I mean, it was a surprise when I just heard you mention his name, but last year, uh, when the vaccination rollout across the city occurred, um, he came to the Brownsville Community Development Corporation's uh, BMS Family Health and Wellness Center and he and his wife received um, their vaccination there. And they, he reached out in gratitude because he said he had such a wonderful experience that, you know, from the time he walked through the door, you know, the customer service was impeccable. And so he, um, he persisted until he, he reached, you know, he was able to contact someone that could provide him with the information to make a, a donation to the work that we were doing. So, um, he, yeah. Was, he, never, he never told me. Yeah. We were best of friends. He never told me. As he was keeping that under, you know, you make a contribution, you do it quietly. And, yes. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm more impressed with my friend now than I was <laughs> yes. before we, we spoke. Um, so we want to talk about, as I said in the introduction, we want to talk about community leadership in Brownsville and um, how Brownsville is a community that is making itself happen in a way. Um, and we do want to get to that. But first, we want to learn a little bit more about Brownsville <coughs> because, you know, it has a terrible reputation. And we want to just talk about your experience of living, growing up in Brownsville. Now, you both grew up in Brownsville, yes? So, LaShawn grew up. Uh, in Brownsville. I actually grew up in Bed-Stuy, 
but um, when I was around, say, 9 or 10, my dad moved to Brownsville. And so I would visit often. And so a lot of my experience in, in Brownsville did start at a very young age because he had moved there and I was a daddy's girl. So I, you know, um, I was always, you know, there by his side. And, um, and even when I was in high school, I used to, I was a cheerleader. We used to practice at the Betsy Head uh, pool. So there's a pool house. We used to do our cheerleading practice there. So I would walk on like days like today when it's 60 degrees after cheerleading practice, I will walk from Brownsville back home to Bed-Stuy. So, um, so it's really interesting where people say they have these like, you know, these stories, these horrible stories about Brownsville, but I would walk the streets. You know, I have memories of running up and down Bed uh, Belmont Avenue with my stepsister, up and down Pickin Avenue, you know, shopping in all of the stores that, you know, existed, some of the signs, some of them are not there anymore, the, the signs are still there. So, you know, living there, I have a total different, um, you know, perspective of what people who may visit have to say, you know, I, I never had a, a, a you know, an unsafe experience walking the streets of Brownsville and walking all the way from Brownsville back to Bed-Stuy on some days. So, um, you know, but that's what we're here to talk about. You know, once you get inside, uh, the uh, great Greg uh, Jocko Jackson always said, hope is inside. Right. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have the opportunity to meet him before he uh, passed away, but that hope is inside, it's really true. Like the people that are in Brownsville, when you meet them, they really tug at your heart and, um, and they really give you hope and they make you want to come back and they make you feel safe in the community. And that's, that's, great. that's what we want to do here. LaShawn, you grew, you grew up in Brownsville. What I was your experiences? Up, yeah, I was born and raised in Brownsville, born in Brookdale Hospital, and raised in Tilden Houses, one of the NYCHA developments. But my family, actually, my great-grandmother moved to Brownsville with her family in 1927. And so the, my family has been in the community for a very long time. And so you were there when there was a Jewish community there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there were still um, lots of Jewish residents back then when, um, well, of course, I didn't come along until 1971. This is true. Okay. Okay, so I'm not, you know, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, my, my mom, so after my great-grandmother got married and, you know, moved away and had her children, she came back um, into the NYCHA development in 1962. My mom was seven years old. And then, you know, there were still Jewish neighbors. Um, so, and a lot of the, uh, Janice mentioned Belmont Avenue, there was a, I mean, a really hot market on Belmont Avenue where you would go and buy your fruits and your vegetables and your fish. And I think it was Slavin's uh, fish market. And so that was the place to be, <laughs> you know. And so, um, yeah, so that was, you know, I spent the first 20 years of my life. In, in Brownsville and, and pretty much, you know, everything Janice said, great experience. I would not change or exchange my childhood for anything in the world. Tell us about a particular experience. Janice told us about cheerleading. What, what, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I mean, there, there's so many. Um, I will say that a lot of the friends that I had growing up, we are still friends. So a lot of, I think that's also very unique about Brownsville, you know, people that... I have a, um, I went to the local um, Head Start on Livonia Avenue, and I can still name by first and last name every single student in that photo. And wow. a lot of them I still see now. So that's an example of the type of community that Brownsville is. We are a family. So a longstanding idea about your community is that it's, that it's not safe. Um, in the 1970s, some journalists compared your area to a, a war zone. Um, what was your experience of violence growing up in Brownsville? I think you just talked about it a little bit, but can you elaborate at all? So interestingly, um, you know, I, sometimes you block out some of the experiences. You know, I hear people oftentimes talk about blocking out experiences, and I think a lot of times we just sort of go on with life, and, and you do block out experiences uh, one of my board members, you know, was raising a concern about, you know, people feeling safe, and um, and I, I kind of took some time to think about it, and um, and 
although I feel like I'm very passionate about economic development and, you know, our top three priorities are economic development, affordable housing, and health, I realize safety is at the center of it all because we talk about, you know, maternal and infant mortality and, you know, you know, black women being able to go into a hospital and deliver safely. You know, you want safety in your community so that businesses can thrive. Um, and definitely there's this issue of gun violence and- um, And gang violence. Right. And, um, and, and unfortunately, a, a lot of the gang violence that is occurring now is very much connected to the gun violence. And I, I've thought about, um, you know, some of the experiences. More of us are affected by gun violence than we think. Um, if you've ever run from a bullet, you know, like heard the sound of a bullet and felt like you had to grab your child or, um, or pick yourself up and run, you've been affected by gun violence and you probably have b blocked out that experience. Um, as a, a child growing up, me and my sister, we were in our bedroom, you know, just there. Yeah. And there was the sound of a gun, a gun. We found out that the bullet hit the windowsill. Oh my gosh. But we were in the room, this is a room with two windows. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't even, we thought that the sound was coming from one by one window and we ran you know, across the room and ended up closer to the other window, but that was the window that the bullet hit. My car um, once was uh, hit by a bullet. Uh, even recently on my street, there was, um, you know, some incidents of, you know, some, um, I guess, illegal uh, um, facilities, you know, using a, a space for illegal, illegal activity, and there was a lot of gunshots. And there were some, some nights where you know, thankfully the precinct, they handled it. You know, we, we brought the concern to them as concerned residents and they handled it. But there were some times when I, I had to, I jumped out my bed, you know, running for my safety. And so, um, so I, um, thankfully I've never been hit by a bullet, but I absolutely feel like I'm, I'm a victim of gun violence because um, for some reason, by the, the, the grace of God, the bullets didn't hit me but I feel like they have been close enough to hit me. And so, um, so more of us are affected, and I really think that more people should speak out about gun violence and, and, and think about what the experiences are um, or have been and, and really lend their voice so that we don't um, think that there's just a few people that should be taking the matter up. No, we should all think about how we've been affected by it and, and figure out how we can collectively do something about it. But, but LaShawn, is this, is this gun violence and gang violence, is this a Brownsville thing? No, it's not just a Brownsville thing. I think that the root cause of needs to be examined why people behave a certain way, right? And so we all know that there aren't any gun manufacturers in Brownsville or in other communities similar, right? They're coming from somewhere. So, you know, I would also, you know, appreciate more conversations about the root causes. You know, um, so to answer your question, though, no, Brownsville isn't, you know, it's not unique to Brownsville. But it's interesting that it has gotten that reputation. It is. I mean, well, we're not the ones reporting it, though, you know, so yeah. you have to look at the source of where this information is being reported, how it's being reported. Um, so I would just, you know, because if you, to Janice's point earlier, to ask a, a Brownsville native about their experience, they would not say, I live in the most violent neighborhood in the world. They wouldn't say that. So it depends on who you're asking. Right. So, so you think it's safe now? I mean, today, is, is it safe for someone like Paul and Alan, two old Jewish guys, to walk down the street, around Pitkin Street? And Absolutely. I mean, there are people walking there, yeah. you know. I, yeah. Did I see you yesterday? I mean, you know, there, <laughs> yeah, there are yeah. more people I walking can, around. I yeah. can tell you. All right, a white guy, older Jewish white guy, with my friend, who's a little tiny little pipsqueak of a guy, mm -hmm. we're walking along, and it's like uh, all of these rumors are going on in my head. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what it's based and I'm on, looking, not on your experience. And I'm like, I'm seeing danger everywhere. Mm -hmm. But that's because I was told there's danger there. Right. But everyone we met was friendly and lovely mm -hmm. and, you know, um, I mean, I didn't see anything there that I don't see in the Upper West Side. That's right. You know, That's right. Right. I mean, I see homelessness here, mm -hmm. you know. And you've experienced gun violence here. And we've been on our block. Mm -hmm. right. We had a, we had a shootout Park. on our block in yeah. Central Park. I was held up by a gun. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. So this idea that it's a Brownsville thing, right. that's, one, that's one reason we wanted to have this show. Oh, yeah. well, thank you. you. Know, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brownsville's history, like the history of all New York City neighborhoods, is complex. But a prevalent idea about Brownsville is that it is economically impoverished. Um, and we wanted to find out who are the people that you two represent and that you're helping to bring up and that you work for. Who, who, who are they? And are they just poor? Is that the way we can describe Brownsville? I mean, Brownsville is impoverished. It has a high, high levels of poverty, like, you know, about 14 other neighborhoods in New York City. Um, so, yes, we have also the largest concentration of public housing in the world, um, you know, which essentially by definition is low-income housing, right? Um, even though, you know, we have people of all income levels there. Um, however, you know, I would say Janice and I, you know, work on behalf of all community residents, especially Janice being the chairperson of the community board 16, um, you know, which she can speak, you know, for herself and, you know, all the, the wonderful work that she is doing there. But I, yeah, I would say that we represent, you know, the whole community, um, but that, yes, it's, there are high levels of poverty, high levels of unemployment. Um, in Brownsville, yes. Yeah. Who lives in Brownsville? Who are the people besides the fact that they're economically, you know, challenged? Who are they? Uh, they're families. Okay. Um, you know, the human beings, mm-hmm. you know, um, that are part of different families. Families make up a community. And so that's it, it's a, um, a melting pot of cultures. So mm-hmm. it's, it's culture rich. You know, we have people from, um, you know, African-American culture, lots of Caribbean, um, Latinos. Um, We even have recently um, seen more people of, um, you know, Asian Mm -hmm. um, culture in our community. So we're we're a melting pot of, so we're, we're a neighborhood just like any other neighborhood that exists in the city or, you know, in this country. <laughs> um, another um, idea that has been put out about Brownsville, it comes from a 2002 book, Brownsville, Brooklyn, Blacks, Jews, and the Changing Face of the Ghetto by Wendell Pritchett. And he writes that Brownsville plays an important role in the debate over the responsibility of American society to the poor, right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty good, like Brownsville itself is a, place that we can learn about how do we deal with this issue of, of poor of poverty. One way that New York City has been dealing with poverty is through NYCHA, right? And has been doing it for, for quite a while, the New York City Housing Authority, which, which you have mentioned before. Its initial goal was to get rid of city slums. How good a job is NYCHA doing in, in Brownsville? Well, I mean, go ahead, Janice. So, um, so I grew up in public housing. Um, I'm concerned with the conditions of public housing today. Growing up, and, we, and, and where we talk about um, affordable housing and there's all these new units, right, of affordable housing that's being developed and, you know, it's quality housing. Um, so I understand, you know, the need for people to have quality housing that's not leaky or, you know, it, you're not dealing with rodents. and But public housing used to be that experience. You know, the elevators worked, the buildings were clean, you didn't have rodents, you had the best heat, you, you had the best neighbors, you didn't have to even lock your doors. Um, you know, Absolutely. you would go up and down. I mean, folks lived there for many, many years, so you raised your families together. Um, you know, it was it was a community that you you learned to rely on. This should not be special. This should just be normal. Right. right. Norman, this so, is the normal way we should live. All live right. like that. Right. Absolutely. And um, it's not the case and, now. And the, and and there no. wasn't trash all over the streets. You know, um, people took a lot of pride, I think, in living. They had tenant associations, mm-hmm. and so the tenant associations used to be in the lobby of the oh, building. Tenant patrol. Right. Mm-hmm. Helping to patrol. patrol. Right. They used to have their jackets, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they would be in the lobby. You know, they were kind of monitoring who came in and out of the building. And so that was a, a 
clearly a public safety initiative. And yes. so that was community led. Right. right. So that was my experience and I you know, I grew up I feel like, you know, to have, you know, rich experiences, I'm still very connected to the community that I lived in public housing with. We, you know, get together, you know, we love we live for the, the days, you know, in the summertime where we get together and reunite and have reunions and you come back to the community and, you know, see everyone and, you know, break bread and party and, you know, and then you go back to your lives. But I feel like in present day, the people who live in public housing are not being afforded the same opportunity. Um, a lot of us live in buildings that are, you know, hundreds of years old. Right. So can NYCHA be retrofitted? I think it can be, you know. I understand that, you know, it's, it's costly to retrofit. You don't want to relocate people. It's difficult to work around people. But can the conditions improve? Absolutely. You know, why, you know, they're neglecting to do the repairs, why the elevators don't work, why people's heat is not work I don't understand like in older homes we change boiler systems all the time right, right. we That's switch right. from oil to gas and get you know and improve our heating conditions all the time so why is that not occurring in NYCHA you know we're spending billions of dollars to create new buildings but neglecting the issues of the buildings that are there do it you have any idea sense. why um I don't know exactly why, um, you know, I can't say that I do. You know, could it be that, um, you know, people want to shift the burden, I think, uh, because um, NYCHA, you know, they're not separately metered units, right? So, you, you know, tenants are not responsible for their own gas and electric. So it, it, it could be this, this thing to, you know, try to shift the economic burden back to the individual because mm -hmm. newer buildings, tenants are paying, you know, their gas or their electric. And so it, 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 it seems to be leading to this economic <laughs> issue and, and who, who, who should take responsibility for the maintenance of, of these buildings. And it seems like they want to shift it to the tenant mm -hmm. and not and, and, and rid themselves of the responsibility. Again, this is really not a Brownsville issue. No, what this about is a the New York City What issue? about the fire that happened in the Bronx? Wasn't that had to do with the, the, the apartment, the building wasn't heated I mean, there's, well? There's nicer right. problems here and in Manhattan. So mm -hmm. again, you know, pointing to Brownsville and saying, you know, this is a Brownsville thing, that's really not fair. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's just not true. It's not true. It's yeah. not true, you know. And so, um, you know, again, just we're thankful to have an opportunity to tell the truth about our beloved community. Mm -hmm. In addition to getting help from the city and state government agencies, New York City communities have turned to outside business investment to solve problems. But it has been argued that Brownsville is geographically isolated from the more affluent communities uh, to the west of you, uh, making such investments difficult. Does Brownsville's economic success require financial support from outside of Brownsville? I think any development needs investment, business, housing, you know, so the short answer is yes. The type of investment, though, is what is really going to be critical because, as I mentioned to you before, um, the majority of the businesses on the main corridors are not owned or operated by people who live there. That is a direct correlation to why the poverty issue has remained as such for the past few decades. So the, the investments that are needed are needed not to just bring in any business from you know another location into the community. We, and this is what Janice and I work on day and night, is to find investments to invest in the people to develop the businesses um, within the community. We need, we need to make a huge shift where that's concerned. So you're encouraging entrepreneurship and Absolutely. looking for those people who want to build businesses. So, so has gentrification impacted Brownsville to any extent? I think Brownsville is probably one of the uh, communities that have that 
has experienced the least amount of gentrification. I think gentrification started probably 20 plus years ago. So you see, you look over in Williamsburg, uh, you look at Bed-Stuy. Um, so I think you see that gentrification. We're starting to see more of it. I think in Brownsville, um, as of you know, probably the last few years. But is it, but is it even something that you want? Is it, is it even something that would help the community? By definition, yes, because to define gentrification means that a community moves from one income level, class, or what have you, to another, upwards, right? So that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be different people. Yeah, okay. I think when we think okay. of gentrification, we think of, you know, white influx. Right, but that is not the... brown and black communities. Absolutely, but that is not... The, so we work within the definition of what gentrification means. And that, means that's, and that is why we do the work that we do to ensure that community residents are, receive access to better education, you know, career opportunities, entrepreneurship, business development opportunities so that they themselves can in, in, increase in, yes. their income and they can shift because right. these... Uh, affordable housing units you know maybe you don't want to live in the public housing development anymore maybe you want to buy the house down the block and I think that is what did occur before so with the Nehemiah homes a lot of the people who bought the Nehemiah homes 30 years ago they lived in the housing developments but they were able to secure a certain amount of wealth and they were able to reinvest in their community by purchasing property in the community. And so that's, the, that's what we're trying to duplicate. Tell us what Nehemiah House, what is that? Houses? So the Nehemiah Home, it's a community. Okay. Um, so it was um, developed prob- a little, probably over, a little over 30 years now. Yeah, probably 40, um, I want to say. Yeah, with yeah. Uh, East Brooklyn congregations. Um, they fought for the land mm-hmm. um, and, and I think going back to some of the you know the references you made there was you know this tug of war about again what to do with the, the land and so the Brownsville plan they're building affordable housing on it but 30 years ago they built private houses and allowed the community to purchase homes so um, so so the community is called they named it the Nehemiah um, homes so it, it's a it's a residential community within Brownsville, and it's it's considered one of the safest areas in the community. They have a homeowners association, um, and and they're probably they're probably a, 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 a more affluent section yes. of the community, and yes. they raise families. Um, a lot of the the, the 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 kids they went away to college, but they come back. Do they? They That's got involved yes. in yeah. the community. So um, yeah, it, it's. It's, it, there's, it's generational wealth there. That's right. <laughs> I think That's we're getting right. our job done here. We're, 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 we're trying to get to the essence of Brownsville. I think we're getting it to it. One thing that has impressed me in my study of Brownsville is that this community takes care of itself. Recently, I spoke with Sandy Nurse, who represents part of Brownsville on the New York City Council, and she praised the self-reliance of this community. I think it is a really powerful thing where a predominantly black community, a predominantly working class, cash poor community is is in a place that is not being uh, hyper gentrified. It's not that it won't happen. It's not that it isn't happening in a slow level, but it is a testament to the power of the black community in holding the line and their determination to stay put and, and to develop on their terms. And that's the the real operative piece here is development on our terms. So development by us, for us, um, not uh, top down. There's a business improvement district. Uh, there's the East New York bid. These are all efforts to try to empower our small entrepreneurs, empower our community, uh, develop our commercial corridors in a way that reflects and is informed by the community. Yeah, it's no Saks Fifth Avenue, but these are the small businesses and the entrepreneurs who have been there and are trying to make it and want to have development not at their expense and not at at them being displaced. There's also a lot of pride 
in that community. So a lot of um, incredible programs and uh, I actually built a farm out in um, Howard Houses over there years ago in inside this circular park inside the Howard Houses uh, NYCHA development with Green City Forest. And it's a beautiful, large scale farm that is growing lots of fresh vegetables. It is run by young people of color who grow up in NYCHA and uh, it is, is uh, being distributed around uh, that development. Thank you very much, Sandy Nurse, uh, councilperson from Brownsville and other and other places. Uh, thank you yeah, for, ta- thank for you talking so much for with having us. Me. But I think now we're getting to the center of what I'm wanted to invite you here for is that the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So Janice, you're the head of the nonprofit Ocean Hill Brownsville Neighborhood Improvement Association, which, according to your website, works to quote make the Ocean Hill Brownsville neighborhood an attractive place to reside, visit, and operate a business through improved access to service, end quote. Right. Tell us about your organization. So that organization was created because uh, we talked a little bit about um, the fact that community boards, um, they're chartered by the New York City Charter. So they're not nonprofit organizations. So there's no uh, there's no conduit really for the uh the boards to really receive funding, and so um, and and so some boards, they create a a, 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 a nonprofit organization. You, some some organizations, some some community boards have like friends of community board, blah blah blah, um, and so we, we we thought about creating that type of organization, and ultimately decided to create the Ocean Hill Brownsville Neighborhood Improvement Association, and so that was created so that we could set up an entity that would be capable of applying for grants and uh, you know get funds so that we can we can sustain the work that we were doing because you know without eventually getting some you can have a great idea but with you know there's only 24 hours in the day and eight of them you should be sleeping um, <laughs> so you know you you have to find a way to to bring in resources you have to find a way to create jobs you know so that you can teach other people to do the work because that is ultimately what is what makes it sustainable, right? That there's the, the work is able to transition from one generation to the other generation, um, and 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 stand up right for for years to come. And and so we've experienced that. I think when you talk about the anti-poverty work, um, so the Brownsville Community Development Corporation, which I mentioned earlier, it was created out of an anti-poverty program. So they created. Uh, the Bedside Restoration Organization, which is a thriving organization, and they also created the Brownsville Community Development Corporation. That goes back to the 70s. When you talk about local organizations uh, making an impact, those organizations are still here serving the community, responding to the needs of the community. And so um, when it comes to to low income, we, we, we like to stay away from the word poor. Uh, because you know, economically, we may not have resources, but we're rich in everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. we, so we, we, we stay away from that word because we don't want people to define themselves that way. But when it, and comes, I apologize. No, if no, I no, used no, it no. Because it, it's used against you. Yeah. Yes. You know, and and it needs to be pointed at. Yeah. So, right. um, so, so, and, and so that's you know, when you talk about changing the narrative, and <clears throat> I try to stay away from. When people say change the narrative, I'm, I'm, I, I personally am a little afraid of that change the narrative because I'm like, what are you trying to change? Or identifying yourself as low income versus poor, that's a narrative change, you know. Can you, can you put a name of a specific example on a piece of work that you did in your organization that led to some positive change in the neighborhood? So the Ocean Hill Brazil Neighborhood Improvement Association, we actually, and, and this is prior to the Brownsville plan um, when we were, you know, trying to figure out where could the opportunities come, you know, and and where could we, what could we create that begins to spark hope. Um, So we worked with um, some local nonprofits, the city, the city's economic development corporation, uh, they released this RP. To, RFP. Uh, RFP, request for proposals, proposals to uh, 
activate, again, vacant lots around the community. So, um, so if you come to Brownsville right now and you walk down Mother Gaston um, near the corner of Belmont, you'll see a mural that says MGB Pops. MGB Pops, my God, please. Mother what? Gaston <laughs> oh. Boulevard pop-up. It was a pop-up okay, market. Okay, okay, yes. Okay. And so um, it created an opportunity for local small business owners to have a pop-up business in the community where people could, because um, a lot of people have small businesses in their homes, but people don't know that they're there. Wow, wow. And so this was an opportunity great for stuff. them to showcase their businesses yeah. to the community and um, and people learn that they're there and can support them. And so it gave them a space in the community because unfortunately rents for businesses are high. Business owners want triple net leases. So you're out of business faster than you can get in business. But this was an initiative supported by the New York City government at the time that allowed them to have a very low cost rent and be visible to the community so that they could operate their business. This is what I've heard about Brownsville. It is like a an urban laboratory of things that we could do that we haven't tried before, but you're doing it. Yeah, right. That's what I was going to say. It's not really a laboratory because it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, labs, you know, you're But you're trying new stuff. You're, mm-hmm. but, but not but, really new. So to Denise's point, yeah. you know, the community has been entrepreneurial for decades. They just haven't been in a physical space. Mm-hmm. So it's not new. Yeah. This is, Yeah. you know, that's the, you know, the I would say the, the other economy. <laughs> MGB pop-ups. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, so the program, unfortunately, and there were other, so that was the Brownsville, but there were others in East New York. And it, it was a really exciting time in the community. It was an investment that we were, we had worked for for so long. And it, it, it kind of, it, fina- it finally came. Um, so we were really, really happy. The community was happy about that. And, um, and sadly, when it first um, happened, some people from the community would stand outside and say, what is this? And we would be like, like, come in, like it's for you. But they didn't initially. They didn't see it as being for them. New and social so, change is hard. Yeah, yeah. It and so time. that, so that is also when you talk about narrative change, getting people to understand that mm-hmm. this is your community and what happens in here is for you and should be by and you. And from you, yes. yes. Right. Well, ho- hopefully you'll move in that direction again. Yes. LaShawn, you're associated with several organizations dealing with improving economic opportunities in yes. Brownsville. Can you tell us about the Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation? Yes. Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation was established by community advocates and activists in 1989, so going on 33 years, to create an institution that would be I guess an access point for community residents to be able to, you know, get access to, as I mentioned earlier, education, you know, career opportunities, um, home ownership opportunities, business development, you know, anything that sort of leads towards self-sufficiency. That is essentially why the uh, agency was created 33 years ago. And so I've had the honor of um, being executive director for the past seven years. Um, and it has, and literally, my main focus has been to bring it back to its original mission. Literally, to be, you know, a space where um, not just uh, we spark economic development in Brownsville, but that we focus on the people being the economic development engine. And I believe that's the difference. Um, you know, again, not just focusing on um, economic and workforce development in general, but just being laser focused on making sure that the investments are made into the people who live in the community um, to be able to create the businesses that will create the jobs. So can you tell us about, give us the example of one of the projects that you're working on right now? Oh, sure. Um, We have many uh, projects, but one main initiative that Janice and I are both very much involved with is um, the Brownsville Mobility Labs initiative um, that's funded by the Robin Hood Foundation. And so this is an investment that we've received, the community is receiving, I want to say after 
the Nehemiah houses was like the last major investment in addition to the Brownsville plan. But I mean, this is directly going to the people. So we went through a planning process. So it's Central Brooklyn, EDC, Community Board 16, the Brownsville Community Justice Center, and the Youth Design Center. We are the four anchor institutions that make up the steering committee. And in, in collaboration with Jobs First New York City, who serves as our intermediary. This was right before COVID. And we worked through COVID um, to finish the plan and came up with what we now call the Brownsville Hub Cooperative. And it is a three-year framework that um, consists of five pillars, access, self-sufficiency, ownership, youth development, and civic engagement. So that is a, um, we are very proud of the work that we have done and that we are going to do. Um, it's so incredible how all the puzzle pieces of the puzzle are coming together, um, literally all in collaboration to support the um, mobility of Brownsville. And so Janice mentioned the Brownsville plan, right? And so there's, how many apartments are being developed? How many units of housing? It's like, well, maybe a thousand in the Brownsville plan. Mm -hmm. but, um, but with all of the initiatives that are happening with affordable housing, um, I calculated that over the, I think, next five years or so, some mm -hmm. are already um, existing, but there's going to be an increase of about 10,000 units of housing um, just kind of in Brownsville and around central Brooklyn. Right. So 10,000 over the next five years. Typically, there wasn't an infrastructure to make sure that the people who are working to build these developments are people who live in the community. So the work that we're doing through the Brownsville Hub Cooperative ensures that we are uh, getting investments and sponsoring local residents to get the certifications needed in order to work. In the, um, are they coming forward, the local residents? Oh, absolutely. That's We've great. trained over close to 100 people already. Wow. That's great. When the Brownsville plan initially started, we as nonprofits were given the opportunity to meet the developers. And so we, Central Brooklyn, uh, partnered up with Brisa Builders, who she is a minority woman-owned business enterprise and a developer in New York City. She won one of the... Um, Her bid? The yeah. bid. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. So she... So and during the year-long planning process um, that involved the community, every lot has a theme. And so the uh, lot that she won is called Site B, and it's um, the theme of it is entrepreneurship and innovation. I was specifically, because of what we do in our mission, wanted to be part of Site B, which was, as I mentioned, um, allocated to be the theme for entrepreneurship and innovation. So she won, and so we are literally building um, an, an, a center. It's called the Beville Hub. It will be a business incubator, co-working spaces. We're building worker cooperatives. We're building a trade school that will be in the building. And so this is like the location that will encompass everything that, so that's when Janice mentioned earlier, we are building it now, it's happening now. All roads lead to the Beville Hub. So do you go, do you, ever, do you ever go into the high schools to, you know, like put them in the, the know, the stream, the, you know, Absolutely, them? absolutely. And we also, well, we do run, a, um, we have an after school program in the middle school. So we teach entrepreneurship. In middle school, they have access to train because you have to plant the seeds very early. Nice. But we absolutely um, work with local high schools. We and we run an adult literacy program, so young people. Um, well, it's, we we have students of all ages, but particularly young uh, people who you know may have gone off track will have an, do have an opportunity to come through our program, receive their adult literacy, um, their general equivalency high school equivalency diploma and get access to the construction training. Wow. Yeah. And um, the Brownsville Community Development Corporation, they actually helped start a high school uh, called the Watch Academy, World Academy for Total Community Health. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's a health-themed high school. And uh, the and a community-themed high school. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the, the goal is to, uh, to train uh, high school students to enter the healthcare profession. And they uh, normally take many of those students um, to work on uh, different initiatives that happen um, where we may have stipends that we can pay students to work. So we will uh, engage the students to work on those different projects. Um, 
and also some during some of you the summer like summer youth programs within the Brownsville Community Development Corporation the different departments will take students to uh, you know work with them during the summer and expose them internships yes. Sean and Janice there's so much good work you two are doing yeah. I don't want to leave without giving a shout out to uh, Mallory Thatch who you yes. mentioned her organization the commercial revitalization program at the Brownsville Community Justice Center mm -hmm. who really got us started um, when Paul and I were out walking along Pitkin Avenue we ran into a Mallory who was giving a tour to young high school students mm -hmm. who were volunteering to work with her, uh, her center. And um, just say a little bit about Mallory, because I don't want to, she couldn't make it. Mm -hmm. But she was kind of one of the people that started this idea of doing this podcast. So Mallory, um, right now she's working um, with Brownsville Community Justice Center, um, doing like quality of life work as it relates to Belmont Avenue. Um, and Belmont Avenue is actually near and dear to my heart because when I initially joined the community board, um, the, the economic development committee at the time, that's what they were focused on, Belmont Avenue. Um, and when I talk about, you know, sustainable work that can be transferred to other people that, you know, come into the community. So um, I consider Mallory at this point to be my successor to some extent with regards to Belmont Avenue um, because everything that we talked about today, it really sprouted out of the fact that I was working with the Economic Development Corporation back in 2000, I mean the Economic Development Committee back in 2008 on how to revitalize Belmont Avenue. And so that, that small little strip, we realized we couldn't do what we needed to do there without doing all these other things. Um, we also, at the time, uh, we realized that banking was an issue because Brownsville has very few banks and far too many check cashing places. Mm. And so we started this conversation about you know banking and how to improve banking. And so just before the, uh, the onset of the pandemic, we actually uh, became designated as a, a bank and development district. Yes. Wow. When do you have the time to sleep eight hours? Yeah, that's what she mentioned. It's, it's I'm learning. Something important. I'm learning. Um, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm earning my right to sleep a little more. <laughs> well, but, well you know, Mallory, younger, time to take over, right? Yeah, when you're younger, you know, you have a lot of energy. But when you get a little older, you, you need those eight hours of sleep. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and, and, a, and a few naps in between, let me tell you. <laughs> So one thing I just want to oh, add about ahead, Mallory, um, you know, I also work directly with her. We, through the New York Women's Foundation, uh, Brownsville Community Justice Center, and CBEDC, we are we serve as co-chairs for the Brooklyn Economic Justice Project, BEJP. And so Mallory, it, we, we're both co-chairs, and that initiative provides grants to really, I would say, hyper hyper local organizations that do the work but may not have the resources to get a 501c3 just to really get what they need to start up and so we worked together with some other organizations to provide grants to I believe we just granted 10 organizations in the Brownsville Eastern York Bushwick area so so that's the other part of Mallory's work so you are planting seeds yes lots and lots of seeds yes. in, a, in a field of self-sufficiency and mobility yes yes we cannot end this without mentioning another anchor organization, the Brownsville Community Culinary Center. So they are in the process of making a transformation, but that is a place where you can also get um, nutritious and really delicious meals. And are they training chefs? Yes. They are. Okay. Yes, it's a culinary school. So they're in, you know, they're in transformation right now. But yeah, so that's definitely a place. Oh, so wow. on the, the tour. Oh, and they they should do a they should do one of those culinary school meals, you know, where they have like a little restaurant where they they do they, they do. do. They oh, do. okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're producing young chefs, then they're going to be opening up restaurants. Yes. And you'll well, get more of those go. sit downs. In, yes, in, in and um, actually, in this summer. Uh, collective Fair mm -hmm. is going to uh, be operating um, Chestnut like a, a market oh, in, on Osborne uh, in, on, on Osborne on Belmont Avenue. So um, and and the food that Collective Fair makes is amazing. So um, I, 
think you definitely should check that out this summer. Yeah. I think yes. so. Food always attracts people. Yes. Oh, yes. You know. Especially good food. Thank right. you. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. And, and one last thing that I do want to I think there's say. always one last thing. Yeah, because this is important, <laughs> because we talked about safety. We have a wonderful uh, commanding officer at the 73rd Precinct. His name is uh, Inspector Terrell Anderson. He's very uh, community-focused, and he works very closely with the community to respond to the needs um, and the concerns. Uh, he created the Brownsville Safety Alliance. And, um, and this is a model that is, I believe, going to be duplicated throughout the city, but they bring community-based organizations into the areas of the community that have a lot of uh, safety issues so that the agencies can meet the people as opposed to the police and try to infuse resources into those areas. I would imagine the mayor is behind this. No? Does he know about this it? Was, he, I'm sure he knows now, but this was born out of Brownsville. And see, this is what people don't tell you when they tell you Brownsville is, 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 you know, is bad and, you know, that, that narrative of violence. There's a lot of things that happen in this city that are born or it, it's created in Brownsville. And then the city takes it and, 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 and does their thing with it and, and neglects to say, oh, we got that from Brownsville. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you guys are a laboratory. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, there's a few Petri dishes around, yeah. but, you know, it's, but, you know, to the point I made earlier, it's been happening for so yeah. long. Right, you yeah. know. right. But yeah. finally. Yeah. And, at the, and, and because we're a community yeah. centered on just trying to help each other, we're not looking for notoriety. We're right. just looking to survive and to, to be a community. So we don't we don't know to set, to 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 get a copyright on it. Right. <laughs> You're just doing the good work. Yeah. Doing the good work. Doing the good work. It's 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 a blessing, you know, to be able. Period. It's a blessing to be able, and um, you know, I, I think that that's why we show up every day, you know, to do this work. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. I'm sure there's a lot more to say. Oh, we'll have to come back yeah. <laughs> if you have. Thanks again to Janice Morgan of Community Board 6 and LaShawn Allen Mohammed of the Central Brooklyn Development Corporations for joining us today and bringing us up to date on Brownsville, Brooklyn. We are Bar Crawl Radio, talking with interesting people committed to making socially positive contributions to the community. You can contact Alan or me, Rebecca, by emailing us at barcrawlradio at gmail.com with your questions and suggestions. We always respond. And once again, thanks to Wade Ripka and his Eastern Blockheads band for the BCR Bop Bop theme music. I hear that Wade is back performing at Barbez in Brooklyn. In fact, he's performing tonight. Mm-hmm.